0: It's Midday Magazine for Friday, September 8th. I'm Hannah Floor. Petersburg's high school cross-country team had its first meet of the season in Kloak last weekend. It was a first for the team's new coach, Casey Gates, as well. Gates is a sixth-grade teacher at the school district and has helped out with the middle school cross-country team in the past. He talked with KFSK about the hard work the high school runners have already put in this season and what he's learning as a new coach. He says part of the reason he decided to coach cross country was that the opportunity was there.
1: Over the last few years, really started 2020, I've developed this passion and interest for running. So, um, because of that, I wanted to kind of step in and fill this role and help the kids become better runners.
0: Did you get into it, you said 2020, was it COVID related?
1: Mostly, yeah. Um, So the funny thing is, I won a pair of running shoes from Lee's Clothing. They have the raffle every year. <laughs> Jill's my mother-in-law, so okay. there were some people who thought maybe it was rigged. But um <laughs> I won the pair of running shoes, so I said, I guess I better go for a run. And That kind of is what started me on the journey. And then on top of that, it was the spring of 2020 when the gym shut down, so I couldn't go to the gym to work out. Basically my only option was running.
0: Yeah. Mm. So you have this new love of running and you're sharing it with all these kids in cross country. Yes.
1: Yeah, and it's been pretty rewarding so far.
0: Um, did you get any advice from outgoing coach Tommy Thompson?
1: Yeah, we, we've talked a lot. I would like to talk to him more, but it just seems like the day-to-day goes by quickly, and uh, I don't get a chance to talk to him as much as I would. But, yes, he has helped me out. Uh, there's been some times where I felt pretty stressed out and worried, and I reached out to Tommy. and He kind of soothed me and it made me feel a little bit better. and um, So that's been very helpful. Um, also... The kids tell me about workouts they've done in the past and I incorporate those. So um
0: So they're coaching you a little bit while a little you coach bit. them.
1: Yeah, a little bit.
0: Okay, so let's talk about Kloak. Your first race was in Kloak last weekend. Do you want to tell me how it went?
1: It went really well. I couldn't have been happier, frankly, with how all of the kids ran. I'll mention a few things. The boys, every single one of our boy runners PR'd in Kloak.
0: And that, several, means...
1: that means that was their personal record, their personal best, okay. the fastest they've ever ran. Wow. Yeah. And several of them PR'd by minutes and I'll shout out Alex Holmgrain. He had a great race. He PR'd by almost 35 seconds. Um, and he's one of our veteran runners returning from last year. So he had a really good race. All the boys really did well. We finished third in that. Um, which is a pretty respectful showing. And we didn't have two of our top runners, so this upcoming weekend is looking even better. And our girls did tremendous. Maria Toth and Kinley Lister had incredible races. Maria Toth won the whole thing. She was the first place finisher by by a long shot. So Maria and Kinley were first and second. Maria was ahead of Kinley by a minute. And Kinley was ahead of the third place finisher by a minute. Wow. So our girls were, those two girls were far and away the fastest girls there. Oh, that's and, really fun. And uh, Gabby Whitaker was our third runner there, and she had a really good race, too. Um, she's improving. She's been improving steadily. So overall, the race on Saturday went really well. And like I said, I, as a coach, I couldn't be happier. And, you know, it's all just a result of all the work that they put in. They've been working so hard since August 2nd. That was day one. And it was just really cool to see all of their hard work um, pan out for them. Yeah, and for them to have success. Yeah,
0: it sounds like they've been improving. Yeah, enormously.
1: Enormously. Yeah, especially you know we got a lot of new runners, particularly on the boys team, and I mean they've just been improving by leaps and bounds every week it seems like, uh, and that's really great to see.
2: Yeah.
0: So this was your first official race yes. as a coach. Mm-hmm. How did it feel to watch your runners in the race?
1: It felt great to watch them. Especially to see them cross the finish line with pride. Uh, the overall the day went by really quickly and it was kind of hectic and chaotic, making sure that I was in the right spot at the right times, being where the boys needed to, me to be and then going and getting the girls warmed up and making sure they were ready to run. And it was kind of a whirlwind, honestly, which I didn't really expect. I didn't know what to expect because it was my first race. But, um, so to answer your question, I mean, it was incredible to see the kids run. Big learning experience for me as far as how those days are going to go and what I need to do as a coach.
0: That was new high school cross-country coach Casey Gates. Petersburg's cross-country team will compete in Wrangell tomorrow. The season lasts through the month of September, with regionals in Juneau on September 30th. Bristol Bay could see fewer sockeye return next year. That's according to the preliminary preseason forecast from the Fisheries Research Institute in Aleknegik forecast reports on Bristol Bay as a whole, and researchers say it gives members of the fishery perspective two months before the
3: formal forecast is announced. Christina McDermott has more. This is the first year the Fisheries Research Institute has released a preliminary preseason forecast. Its scientists are predicting a run of just under 39 million sockeye. That's about 30 percent fewer fish than the 10-year average. Curry Cunningham is a fisheries professor at the University of Alaska Fairbanks and a member of the research team. He says the preliminary forecast, which is for Bristol Bay generally, gives fishers perspective for next year a little earlier than usual.
2: Now, this year, we uh, wanted to put out a product a bit earlier, basically, on a timeline when the last in-season sort of daily release from the Alaska Department of Fish and Game was available, kind of end of July, beginning of August.
3: This preliminary forecast is based on in-season estimates of total harvest and escapement numbers and in-season age information from the Alaska Department of Fish and Game. Cunningham says that because the numbers aren't finalized and the by-river run reconstruction process not yet undertaken, the preliminary forecast is less accurate than the formal pre-season forecast released each year in November
2: total sockeye salmon run to Bristol Bay, our standard preseason forecast, our formal preseason forecast that comes out in November, has an error rate of about 15%. This has a higher error rate of about 18% at the Bristol Bay scale.
3: Cunningham says both forecasts make predictions based on returning sockeye's ocean age or how long the fish have spent at sea. This year, he says about 80% of returning fish were Ocean 3 sockeye. Cunningham says that's usually as old as fish get before coming back.
2: So a key part of the the lower forecast this year, one, you know, these systems change in productivity over time, number one. And number two, uh, we were seeing this sort of strong cohort that was represented as two ocean fish in 2022 and three ocean fish as 2023. They've now passed through the system, and it seems like we're going to see a a slightly lower run next
3: year. Next year, Cunningham says they're expecting mostly Ocean 2 fish to return, which means fishers might see smaller sockeye. November's formal preseason forecast, which is modeled with finalized data, will include details on how many fish to expect in each district and run times. In Dillingham, I'm Christina McDermott.
0: A former Alaska state coroner and magistrate judge died last month in Juneau. In his 84 years, Rick Shanko made quite an impression in and outside Alaska. Yvonne Crumery spoke with his family and has more.
4: Richard, or Rick, Shanko lived a lot of lives. Air Force serviceman, Alaska state coroner, judo champion, and magistrate. That's his nephew, Daniel Shanko, singing during the viewing. Dozens of friends and family members, many who came from out of state, gathered for the last day of Novena, nine days of prayer following a death in the Filipino Catholic tradition. Above Shanko's coffin is a slideshow he put together himself. Pictures of him in a Here Comes the Judge t-shirt with his family, military and state officials recognizing his achievements, students in white judo robes, and lots and lots of fish. A slide of him standing with former Alaska Governor Bill Egan, replaces one where Shanko holds a massive king crab. From what his family has to say, the pictures represent his life well. Shanko was a family man, and Daniel has many fond memories of his uncle, like bringing his own kids up to see Shanko and Juno when they were younger.
0: He taught them how to play. I don't know if you know, you know what the uh, Hawaiian bikini is. It's an it's a upright base, but it's made out of a uh, uh, tub with a stick in the street. He'd make, he make it sound like he was real. I mean, that's how good he was. So he would teach them, they would be laughing. He'd play spoons, Ali Bear so anybody playing spoons. He was just so funny.
4: We were just dying laughing in his living room. Shenko wanted Daniel to follow in his footsteps. He, he was willing to send him
1: to law school to take after him, to be a judge.
2: But
4: Shenko had an unconventional path to becoming a magistrate judge himself. He served in the Air Force then as a Washington state trooper, and as coroner for Alaska. When Alaska Airlines Flight 1866 crashed near Juneau in 1971, he was the coroner assigned to the tragedy. It was the worst air disaster in United States history at the time, with 111 fatalities. He received a letter from FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover about his work on the crash investigation. In his memoir, Janko wrote that he became a magistrate when a judicial conference drew all of Alaska's judges to Anchorage, Shenko was sworn in so there would still be someone to preside over trials in Juneau during the conference. He worked as a magistrate judge and coroner concurrently and retired in 1990. Shanko was one of 13 kids in his family, born and raised in Molokai, Hawaii. Growing up, he was a sort of ringleader with his siblings, says his last surviving sibling, Rita Dioric.
5: And Rick would gather us up when we were like 10, 11 years old
1: we'd go and
5: steal watermelon at the field. <laughs> Rick was our leader. And he would take us up to the mountain behind where we live to pick up some mangoes, and then we'd see some wild pigs, and Rick would teach us how to climb the tree really fast to get away from the wild pigs. But we were only 10 years old, but he protected us. And um, we felt safe with him around.
4: Diorik said when he moved to Juneau in 1969, he convinced all his siblings to join him. For a while, much of family lived in town, but eventually they moved back to Hawaii.
5: So one by one of of us moved up to Juneau and worked, and we all retired from there.
4: Delmashenko married Rick 15 years ago. He was friends with her sister and brother-in-law when Delma emigrated from the Philippines, and he would tease her about being shy. Delma said he missed having everyone around as he got older, but he kept records of all the good times in his life.
5: He's very good at keeping memories in stills and in pictures. He would have, like, albums every year of what
4: happened. Diorik says her brother will be remembered for his work with young people in juvenile
5: cases. He loved to help people. And when he became uh, a magistrate, he helped a lot of kids.
4: In Juneau,
0: I'm Yvonne Crummery. Interior Secretary Deb Holland has can- canceled all oil and gas leases in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. She told reporters Wednesday it safeguards the land for future generations.
5: With today's
3: action, no one will have rights to drill for oil in one of the most sensitive landscapes on Earth. Climate change is the crisis of our lifetime, and we cannot ignore the disproportionate impacts being felt in the Arctic. We must do everything within our control to meet the highest standards of care to protect this fragile
5: ecosystem.
0: No company was close to drilling in the refuge. Two companies that bought leases during the Trump administration later gave them up. The only remaining leaseholder is the Alaska Industrial Development and Export Authority. Its executive director says the state agency will challenge the legality of Holland's decision in court. A 2017 law required the Interior Department to hold two lease sales in the refuge. Interior officials say they still intend to hold the second lease sale by the end of next year. Alaska Oil and Gas Association President Kara Moriarty says canceling the leases discourages future bids for drilling rights in the refuge and nationwide.
5: It does not send
4: a signal of stability or consistency or that this administration believes in the future of oil and gas development in our country. I mean, if you're an investor in any federal area in America, you'd have to wonder what the heck.
0: Holland also announced a proposed rule for federal land to the west in the National Petroleum Reserve, Alaska. The rule would fortify conservation measures on land previously set aside for protection. The rule does not directly impinge on willow, a massive project in the MPRA that ConocoPhillips has already begun to work on. For KFSK, I'm Hannah Flohr.